1: former NFL GM, author of Football Done Right, a a book that I was what's one of the seven books I'm reading right now. Um, And also um, just all-around great guy, Michael Lombardi now on the North Homestead Chrysler Jeep Dodge Ram Hotline. Michael, welcome to the show, sir. How are you? Doing well. Um, I mean, I'd be doing better if the Browns had just played in the conference championship round. But all in all, Baltimore lost. We we get, uh, we get what I think is the best possible Super Bowl, Kansas City, and San Francisco. Life is good, man. How about you?
2: Life is good. I mean, look, I think the Browns did some incredible things this year, being where they were and how they overcame the injuries and all the obstacles that they had to deal with over the season. I think it was really kind of a remarkable year that they were able to do it, and I think it's just kind of a tribute to how hard they worked and how Kevin was able to adapt the offense to fit what they were trying to accomplish, and... Coming through, and Flacco. You know, I know he melted down in the last game, but it was a hell of an effort and a hell of a season for him.
1: You know, one of the talking points, based off what a hell of a season it was, and the eleven wins and all this, was how do you how do you build on that, and how do you avoid taking a step back this year? Is there a key, or is there a series of key for the Browns to avoid taking that step back, and in fact, take a step forward next year? Yeah,
2: I think you know they got. You know, they obviously are going to have to deal with. They're going to have to deal with things with their cap and, you know, the Deshaun situation. They've got to get more out of him. Obviously, they've made that decision that they're going to, you know, try to get Kevin not call the game and let him do what he has to do in terms of rehandling handling the team. But I think, to me, adding more good players is also the key. And, and I think that's ultimately what they're going to do. And they, and they can certainly do that. I think there's no question.
1: So you mentioned adding um you know more good players. We've talked about whether this is an offseason that you can maybe take a big swing. You know, Browns fans and Deshaun Watson himself had a video on his podcast recruiting T Higgins, the wide receiver. I'm curious like how much how big of a difference do you think would be adding a number 1 wide receiver if the Browns were able to accomplish how huge would that be for for Deshaun and getting him back to the the, the level that he hopefully can get to.
2: Well, I mean, everybody wants, I mean, I thought Amari Cooper played like a number one receiver. He got 254 yards the first time they played Houston. So I don't know who's going to do better than that. Obviously T Higgins is a great player, but I, I think their, their skill ultimately always can improve, but you don't necessarily have to have a, 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 a pay that for the free agent market. I mean, look, you know, you're paying Deshaun a lot of money, right? And And that's going to continue to be that way. And I think ultimately... You've got to find economic value somewhere with your team as you move forward. That's the real challenge is to find those younger players, develop them, and bring them along. And if you're going to pay the quarterback, kind of what you're paying Deshaun.
1: So if you're the Browns, would it make more sense to try and find maybe one, that, that big ticket guy we're talking about, whether it's a wide receiver, an address, or whatever, in free agency Or would maybe it make more sense if you could turn an existing player into a first-round pick, a late first-round pick, which you haven't really had since, I want to say, 2021?
2: You know, I think any way you can get good players, I think one of the things that they have to continue to do is build their strength. They need to continue. I think what we saw in the Houston game was their defensive front didn't play as well and with Miles Garrett getting doubled and tripled on all the plays, they're going to need to continue to build that. I think if you're in Cleveland, Ohio, you build the team inside out. And it's always hard to find defensive linemen, but knowing Schwartz and how he thinks, I think the emphasis this offseason is to continue to improve the front seven because ultimately that's what's going to win. And you look at San Francisco, Kittle's a fifth round pick, Samuel's a two, right? They trade for McCaffrey basically on a discount deal. You know, and and Iuk's and a late first-round pick, and they got Purdy as a seventh. So they're able to do a lot of these things. And their defense is where they put all their money into. First round with Bosa, first round with Kinlaw, first round with Armstead. You know, pay money for Hargrave, pay money for Chase Young to come aboard. That's the key to football is build the lines. And I think the Detroit Lions almost were able to go in there and win because of the strength of their offensive line, not because of the strength of their skill players.
1: Mike Lombardi on the North Homestead Chrysler Jeep Dodge Ram Hotline. I, I would ask, you know, we we just hired Ken Dorsey as the new offensive coordinator. Before we get to any of the other stuff going on in football, I'm just curious, you know, when we when you make a change at wide receiver, or when you make a change at offensive coordinator, is you think this is a positive move for the Cleveland Browns?
2: Well, I, I don't think they're making a change at at the structure of what they do, right? Like, I I think, to me, they're going to run Kevin's offense. They're just going to allow – he's going to teach the offense to Dorsey. Dorsey's going to coordinate it, call it, you know. But I think it's not going to change. It still has to be tied to the run game, outside zone run, inside zone run. You know, the ability to play action pass, run the deep over routes. And and then when we get into shotgun, have enough difference – To handle all that. So I I don't see this as a shift in offensive philosophy, because why would you, right? You know, the head coach isn't going to start calling plays or be a part of an offense that he doesn't know the terminology. I think Dorsey's going to adapt to what they're doing and then sprinkle in what he likes, things that he thinks he can make Deshaun better with, or things that he thinks the offense can grow from. You know, you can't stay the same, and so I think, you know, bringing in somebody from the Buffalo scheme, which I'm not sure what that is, to be honest with you, Buffalo scheme has always been, Josh, go make a play, right? Like, you really don't have an identity in Buffalo. I mean, they've run the ball at the end of the year, but it's always, Josh, go make a big play, and that's not a disrespect to Dorsey. That's just kind of what it is. So, I really think Dorsey's going to come in and learn what Kevin's learned in terms of the Kubiak style of offense, the West Coast, and then incorporate some of his ideas into it.
1: You mentioned play calling. There's been some debate. Does Kevin call the plays? Does Ken call the plays? Is that decision, is that, is that, in your experience, is that strictly a head coach decision? Does Kevin get that call? Or do you think that's more of a collaborative organizational decision?
2: Well, I think if you know the Browns, it's going to be collaborative, right? You know, I think that's the way it is there in the building. I think that the analytical department will have some commentary on it. I'm sure Dee Podesta will have some commentary on it. I'm sure that, you know, Andrew Berry will. I'm sure Jimmy Haslam and D Haslam will as well. But I think, you know, what we lead more than anything in football today is, a, is as a head coach, as a strategist, somebody to understand how to play the game, what you need to do to win the game. And I think Kevin making this move to – to kind of separate himself from being a tactician to a strategist is a good thing because now you can oversee the game. Now you can go over and help out Schwartz. You can have an impact on the defense. You can have an impact with Bubba Patron on the, on the special teams. You could have an impact with the offense and you could stand in front of the team and you can watch the game instead of looking at your play sheet and checking things off. You could actually watch the game and make decisions on the game predicated on what's happening.
1: Mike Lombardi on the North Homestead Chrysler Jeep Dodge Ram Hotline. Did we get the best Super Bowl matchup possible considering the four teams that went into the uh, conference title round?
2: I mean, I think we did. I really do. I think we did. I think to me, you know,
1: look, I I thought
2: Detroit played one hell of a game. Again, I think that, you know, this whole notion of analytics is kind of interesting because at the end of the day, you know you can't make every decision based on what you did the last decision, and when Dan turned down points to go up seventeen, I thought that was a huge mistake and I think when ultimately you know when he called that time in the game, that's the perfect example of a team that's of a team not understanding how the game was going, and I really think they were playing well had they gone up seventeen and with seven minutes to go in the third. I think they win the game, but they chose not to do that because somebody said three points are no longer any good in the NFL. So ignore them.
1: Mike Lombardi here, and Mike, I do want to talk about your your book in just a moment there, but obviously one of the big talking points, Bill Belichick, the mutual parting of ways in New England. Um, he as as of this moment has not wrangled in a, a new coaching job. Do you think how much of a chance do you think there is? We've seen the last of Bill as a head coach in the NFL.
2: I don't think we've seen the last of Bill. How could we? Guys won six Super Bowls. I mean, Washington hasn't won anything, and they're not even interviewing them. They're not interviewing Mike Vrabel. How is that even possible? Right? Are you going to tell your fan base you're trying to win and you don't go talk to Mike Vrabel or to Bill Belichick? I'm not sure I buy that one. Right? I mean, what you're telling your fan base is you don't want changes. You want to keep the structure that you have in place. If you're Carolina, your team's two and fourteen. Uh, I think that, I think somebody will come to their senses by next year, and there'll be so many jobs they'll be begging him to take one because he still is the greatest coach of all time, and he will be.
1: Mike, do you think this is more of a big-picture question long-term for the NFL? Do you think it's fait accompli we're going to get an 18th game in the near future? No question.
2: I, I think we will, and I think to me the best way to handle it is you set a cap limit on how many plays a player plays during the year with the exception of the quarterback. Right, you know, and the kickers and the punters. To me, if if you if you play a thousand plays in a 16 game season, then the next year you can only play a thousand plays in 18 games, and you are just gonna have to rotate and use your depth. All
1: right, Mike, what can you tell us about your book? Now, I've got it on my. Uh, On my mantle, I've been reading it kind of slowly with a couple other books out there. But for those of you who have not heard of Football Done Right, setting the record straight on the coaches, players, and history of the NFL, I'm curious, what what would you like to tell them to get them uh, motivated to buy the book?
2: Well, the book's about the history of the game. It's about Otto Graham. It's about the great Paul Brown. It's about how we came to be 53 million people are going to watch the NFC Championship game. It kind of goes over the player's. What makes a great players? Why are guys in the Hall of Fame? Why aren't guys in the Hall of Fame? And it really gives you a background on all the players that have played this great game and who my top 100 players are of all time. So for me, it's really kind of a, a, a history. And it's not a history lesson as much as it's a history education. And, so, and it's also trying to respect some of the people that have come before us. Like, for example, There's all those people at Ford Field, the Detroit Lions fans. They never mentioned one time during the broadcast Buddy Parker and how he was the last coach to win the Super Bowl or the championship for the Lions. The man who invented two-minute offense. The man who invented two-minute defense. The man who invented the nickel defense, right? I mean, this is a guy that we should be honoring and yet we choose not to because no one's really taught the lesson of the great Buddy Parker. He went to Pittsburgh at the end of his career and couldn't win there and everybody's forgotten about him. So This is a book to try to pay homage to the people before me who I learned football from. I would get on the team bus with Coach Walsh and he would be doodling Clark Shaughnessy plays. So For me, this is about those people that made me fall in love with the game, whether it's John Madden, whether it's Terry, whether it's Brett Musburger, Howard Cosell, all the elements that I grew up with are in the book.
1: All right, guys, make sure you get your bu- get the book wherever you can find it. I found it on Amazon. Mike, uh, well done on the book. Well done on, on your analysis throughout football season. We appreciate you and we appreciate your time today.
2: Anytime, guys. Thank you.
1: Thank you so much. Mike Lombardi there. I have thoughts I got on, on Ken Dorsey just my reaction to what i've heard there was the initial reaction to the hiring now we're in the reaction to the reaction phase from all of our buffalo guests and i'm going to get to that later in the show but i don't know like i do see value in coaches being more of a ceo type and you know we we've conflated that ceo type to mean they have no say in any of the football decisions and in reality the ceo types are not all the same Right. Like if we look to the situation, Dabo Sweeney was a CEO type in college, ran a different program than Urban Meyer, who by the end of his time was more of a CEO type, right? Uh, in the NFL, uh, there are guys like Andy Reid and Kyle Shanahan who call the plays. There are also guys who are more uh, CEO types, like Pete Carroll was not calling the defense in Seattle the last, time, the last few years he was there. But he, as a CEO, would look different than, I don't know, somebody like Sean McDermott, who had, was kind of there. But then this year, Sean takes back the defensive play call. But like even before that, Sean McDermott was always more heavily involved on defense than offense. So we, we try and shoehorn coaches into specific silos. Oh, you're a CEO. You're an offensive play caller. You're a defensive play caller. You're... Uh, you're a coach's coach you're you're a coach's coach, you're a you're a player's coach, you're a authoritarian and the reality is those are kind of generic labels that they might have characteristics of. Like with Kevin, I don't ever want Kevin to not be involved in the conversation about calling plays. That's different than him calling every single play. And I do think getting out of the call sheet, like having he, it's his whoopie. He's never not going to have it. But like, and I, and by the way, it's not just him, Andy. It's Andy Reid's whoopie. It's Kyle Shanahan. It's Sean McVay's whoopie. So uh, that that felt like a shot at Kevin. I want to walk that back. Um, All guys who like to call plays or feel safest calling plays, that's gonna be the thing. You're gonna be in the the the, the call sheet, but you don't have to be in it on every single play. And it'll be really interesting. I don't know that I have a preference, a, a staunch preference. I don't know that Ken Dorsey calling plays versus Kevin is automatically going to be a failure, one way or the other. But I still, I still have questions about the Ken Dorsey hiring that I'm not. I'm, I'm more comfortable than I was when he was being interviewed. I still am not all the way there yet. Uh, so great stuff with Mike Lombardi there now. Getting from the play-calling conversation, the head-coaching conversation to the quarterback-gatekeeping conversation. Yesterday, we got into the conversation surrounding Lamar Jackson. And the fact that Lamar was taking flack for his team being the number one seed in the AFC, honestly, you could have, at any point in this season, called them the best team in football. Not just their own conference, the best team in football. And most of the season, you'd be right. And so Lamar's taken a lot of flack. And there are extremes in this conversation, which is what I try to avoid. But Ken and Anthony weighed in on this this morning and and started talking about, you know, the, the impossibility of matching up to Pat, Pat Mahomes. We try to find a cheat code to everything we do in sports talk radio. And I'm telling you right now, all you have to do is sit there and say, Lamar Jackson is not an elite quarterback. Why? Well, he can't beat Patrick Mahomes. Patrick Mahomes is as tough a quarterback as you're going to find to beat. And only really one guy, excuse me, two have beaten him. Joe Burrow and Tom Brady. Then, you know, you take the Eagles and Jalen Hurts gets to the Super Bowl last year and gets no credit for doing so. So, we've just determined that we're not going to give credit to any of these quarterbacks. They're all bad. They're all frauds. Dak Prescott is now a fraud forever. Like, we're just going to keep doing this with all the best quarterbacks and it just seems like we're having silly arguments to diminish every single and good team exactly. and good player and good coach. It's, so it's, it's always, we'll wait and see, and if he gets over him, great. But not, how many other guys can't get over Patrick Mahomes? So Tom they Brady, Brady got over go him down. twice, right? Tom Brady got over him once in the AFC and once in the Super Bowl in the NFC. And right, that's right, the Owen? greatest who ever played, and the other one's going to be a whole and, and Joe Burrow. That's, that's all it. we got in the league right now, folks. And, like, and That doesn't mean that every other quarterback is a and Every team is a fraud. So I understand the greater point. That Ken and Anthe are making, and we actually agree on the high-level point that if everything is, did you beat Pat Mahomes? Yes or no? And if it's a no, you're a scrub. Then the reality is, it's 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 a flawed conversation. So I actually agree with that. I mean, I think I honestly think quarterback tiers are the most genius thing you can have. The problem is everybody's bastardized it and co-opted it so that they could just try and make uh, some sort of a, a statement about individual quarterbacks. Oh, well, I'm Kirk Cousins isn't a top 15 quarterback because I want to get the clicks. That's the concern, right? Chris Sims does it every offseason, and he does it in the quietest time of the year so people will pay attention to Chris Sims' quarterback tiers. But I digress. There's a few things that I think are bizarre. I don't think Ken and Anthony are saying – we can't have the conversation about Lamar Jackson after the Kansas City loss. But I don't hear them actually have the conversation. So I think they're saying like, well, there's just got to be something reasonable here. We can agree on that. But I think one thing that I vehemently disagree is the wait, well, we're just going to have to wait and see. That's not really how talking sports with your buddy works. Like the whole thing of sports talk is it's you and me sitting on uh, a bench just talking sports. Like, I love when, like, I was at the uh, the, the daddy daughter dance this weekend. And I had a few people come up to me and they're like, I don't want to, you know, I need to talk sports for a living. And I'm like, guys, I would do it for free. It's the dirtiest secret. I love doing it. At any point, I am willing. the The time where it's tough to talk sports is when you're in between breaks and you have to talk sports off air. That's the tough time when I'm away from work. No, I enjoy talking sports at all time. But the whole point of and the thing that makes sports talk and I don't mean just sports talk the format. I mean, just talking sports with your friends is that three people can view the same game and have different takeaways. And I don't know if it's Twitter. I don't know if it's um, social media at large. I don't know if it is. I don't know if it's the maybe a greater indictment on where the, the country is in terms of having actual conversations and how we've never been more against any sort of mentality that falls out of line with the way we think. But what I can tell you is differing opinions is good. Like, listen, the extremes are bat bleep insane. The people who say Lamar's a scrub because he didn't win on, on Sunday are insane. They're 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 just disregarding the reality that Lamar is an electric, amazing quarterback to watch, and the people who say, "Well, anything Lamar does is good," is it, that's good enough? No, that's the participation trophy side of this. Listen, here's the realities with Lamar Jackson. Lamar Jackson is one of the five best quarterbacks in the NFL. At points, he is he is vacillated to between being v- incredibly overrated. And incredibly underrated and a lot of that is because he has been fantastic in the regular season this season I mean guys he is the rightful MVP now you can say well if Mahomes had had a better year or if somebody else had a more statistically prevalent year that would be the MVP I don't care about that the point is he was the best quarterback in the NFL on the best team in the NFL this year MVP But then when you stack up what he's done in the postseason, and there are valid reasons why he hasn't really won a lot in the postseason, some of it being injuries and being opportunities. But for a guy that has been an MVP starting in his second year in the NFL in 2019, he's got two playoff wins. That's not enough. So just when we start with, all right, this is an elite quarterback, is he matching that elite regular season play – by being elite in the postseason? The answer is no. Because Pat Mahomes wasn't elite in the second half against uh, Baltimore, but he won the game. And this is, unfortunately, the conversation comes down to, did you win enough playoff games and which quarterbacks did you beat? And Lamar went up against the ultimate litmus test. And here's why it matters. Because if Lamar had beaten Pat, there would, there would have been every analyst in the NFL saying he got over the hump, he is now anointed, Lamar is a future Hall of Famer. All those things would have been true if he won. But yet, when he loses, you can't say, in real time, that's a disappointment. For a guy who is shown to be elite in the regular season, a guy who had elite plays in that game, a guy who looked elite against Baltimore, he did not match up. Against Pat Mahomes, he did not outdo Pat Mahomes. That's different than the conversation that I think people try to have, which is, oh, does this mean he's not elite?" I don't even know what that means anymore. I don't even know the validity of that conversation. If I want to talk about the ninth best quarterback. We
0: get it. Attention spans just aren't what they used to be. Heads in social media and eyes on Netflix. But what do people do with their ears? Well, for one, they're listening to audio.
1: You want to talk about Baker Mayfield making the Pro Bowl and getting a playoff win? You want to talk about Baker being elite? All right, that's a conversation that probably has more validity because more people will have differing opinions on it. So if the conversation is, is Lamar still good even though he lost to Patrick Mahomes? Guys, you would be a fool to not say yes. But this idea that we have to wait and see on every single quarterback conversation that all of a sudden it's the quarterback gatekeepers that are failures and it's they're too stringent and they're too their their bar is too high guys that's the point the goal is to have a high bar patrick mahomes is the bar and if we're going to if we're going to anoint joe burrow as this otherworldly quarterback because 2 years ago he beat pat mahomes then when somebody who has yet to beat Mahomes or who's yet to be a Super Bowl or, in the case of Lamar, who has two playoff wins in six years as a starter, five years as a starter, then, guys, you got to have the other side of the conversation. And yet, when it comes to the quarterback gatekeeping conversation, Lamar has not beaten Pat. Until he does, There's or until he wins a Super Bowl, one of those two things have to be true. It's going to be the conversation. The idea that only Tom Brady and only Joe Burrow have beaten Pat Mahomes. Yeah, that's a high bar. That's the point. Cuz you're not grading Lamar Jackson against Baker. You're not grading Lamar Jackson against um you're not against uh, even Deshaun Watson right now. You're grading him against Joe Burrow, you're grading him against Josh Allen, you're grading him against Pat Mahomes. And he faced off against one of those three quarterbacks in the playoffs and lost. Immediately going to the elite conversation is very lazy. I We are in complete agreement on that. But also there's there's a complete straw man that Lima had within that, and I say that lovingly. Um, the idea that Jalen Hurts got no credit for what he did last year is laughable. I, got I, a contract I, for it. Uh, yeah, got a contract for it. Was honestly, he is anointed. And this year, now, were people saying this year he wasn't the same quarterback? Yes. But they were still comparing him to last year's quarterback. But just the greater conversation, I just don't think you should run from having an honest conversation about great quarterbacks. Because, guys, you want to hear unfair? Dan Marino's one of the five best passing quarterbacks of all time. He never beat Joe Montana. He never won a Super Bowl. He never, when you think about it, like he just never achieved the team success that we gauge a quarterback by. Dan Marino has been wildly, I mean, like to a ridiculous degree, forgotten in NFL history. Why? Because he didn't win a Super Bowl and he didn't beat the other quarterback, the quarterback, Joe Montana, of his time. Is it fair? It doesn't matter. Guys, that's the whole point. Somebody's got to be number one. Somebody's got to be two. Somebody's going to be remembered. Somebody's got to be forgotten. So I just want to put a bow on the uh, Lamar conversation. It's less about Lamar specifically because it can sound like uh, sour grapes coming from Cleveland. But the reality is, Lamar is a tremendous regular season quarterback who, to this point, does not have the kind of postseason expect that would go with the the hardware that he has in the regular season he's going on mvp number 2. And that is interesting. That that isn't definitive. It doesn't mean he won't win in the future, but this was a this was a huge opportunity. Playing in front of the home crowd, playing with the best and 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 least restrictive offense that he's played in his career and with one of the best defenses that they've had in the last 5 years to truly answer the call and get over the hump. Of of getting into the the Super Bowl, and and not just that, but going through Pat Mahomes to do it. But it's funny that you know I, I we played Ken and Anthony, but this isn't specific to them. It's really funny to me how there's a segment of media analysts who the only kind of analysis they can have is the positive analysis, and and I just think that's beyond fake, and I hear it all the time in sports talk, like. Guys, I say a lot of really nice things about the Browns. I also say a lot of very hard truths that I think are true about the Browns. Um it has been unpopular, but I've had some some things that I think are true to say about the Cavs. Uh over the last couple of weeks about just it just where it feels like we're in the 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 conversation with the Cavs versus where we should be. But there's a segment of people and I think I do think it's social media. I think this this idea of being wrong as if that is some measure of anything of importance i think i think is completely bastardized the quarterback conversation because people will i like this brock purdy thing guys brock purdy is a is probably an average starting quarterback he doesn't have a huge arm he's he's mobile which was very it came in handy on sunday but he's got an average arm average accuracy like, he, he can run that offense, but in any other system, I don't know that he would be the same level of player. And that's not a way of calling him a system quarterback, by the way, even though he probably is. The point is, physically, there's not a lot there. And so that leads you to wonder, like, you look at Mahomes. Mahomes looks like a guy. Watch him. Who could succeed in almost any scenario because of the just, whether it's the intangible thing, the inherent being able to make plays on the run, whether it's just the arm talent, like all those things factor into his ability to move. All the things factor into why he is the greatest. Brock Purdy doesn't have any of that. That doesn't mean he's the worst quarterback in the NFL. The giant overreaction to having a real take that Brock Purdy is a limited quarterback who at least in some way is influenced by the perfect situation around him. Nobody wants to say that. Oh, he's not a a product of the system. Well, one, most quarterbacks are products of the system. Um, Unless you are built like Pat Mahomes or Josh Allen, unless you have some sort of ridiculous combination of talent like Joe Burrow does, you're more than likely going to be a product of the system. All that is, is to say he's not Pat Mahomes. I don't think that's a big knock. And it's funny. Like I feel that way about Lamar, like something missing from the conversation that we, that we, none of us have mentioned Lamar was born on third base. So was Brock Purdy. Lamar was born. Built into a, or Born into a situation where he had an established quarterback on the way out who could start early in his career. He has given one of the five, uh, generally agreed upon, five best head coaches in the NFL in John Harbaugh in an organization that is constantly praised for their continuity and their patience with young players and their ability to develop young players. So yeah, they haven't gotten wide receivers right. Yeah, they haven't really ever replaced Jamal Lewis or Ray Rice. Yeah, they kept kind of gave him Mark Andrews. Yeah, it hasn't been perfect the entire step of the way. But I think a lot of quarterbacks flourish in that situation. That should enhance, that should aid your expectations. Same thing for Brock Purdy. Brock Purdy could win the Super Bowl in two weeks. He could still be Trent Dilfer. But you can't say that because what if you're wrong? What if somebody on social media disagrees with you? Who cares? The whole thing's made up. Now, speaking of things that are made up, I like to say nice things about somebody before I then insult something that they've said. Uh, Danny Parkins out of Chicago, very talented. There's a reason he's on afternoon drive in the third biggest market in America. All right, he makes the big bucks. He's doing very well for himself, but he was on first and pod. And we all remember the big Zay Flowers taunting penalty. That, uh, that took, what, 15 yards back after the big play Zay Flowers made because he spun the ball in the, uh, the Chiefs defender's face and flexed over him, and that has Danny Parkins incensed.
3: Taunting should not be a penalty in professional sports. Now, what Zay Flowers did, because it is a rule, is obviously taunting. He should have been flagged, but... Unsportsmanlike conduct should be a penalty for spitting in someone's face. If you want to say throwing a ball at somebody, something like that. Okay, fine. Unnecessary roughness should be a penalty for fighting because people are like, oh, if you take out taunting, there's just going to be a bunch of fights after every play. No, you can't fight because that would be unnecessary roughness. That's a penalty. But taunting is trash talk. These are pros. This isn't Little League. This isn't AYSO soccer. This isn't the why You have to teach your kids and athletes or role models. Stop. AFC championship game, guy catches a 40-yard pass and he can't talk a little junk. It's so stupid that we've got 50- and 60-year-old men legislating language of 24-year-old athletes. It's idiotic.
1: One, the laziest thing to do in this conversation is blame the olds. Uh, It's not just old people. It's not just 50-year-old, 60-year-old, 70-year-old people who have a problem with taunting. Um, I don't want to see blatant taunting on every play I actually think smack talk that's fine two guys chirping you see it on literally every play so to conflate uh talking smack with taunting is disingenuous just as is well it's old people old people are the problem um no it's not not everybody wants to see taunting And guys, this is the simplest penalty to not get hit with. Don't stand over other players after you've made a big play. If you're going to celebrate, celebrate away from that player or certainly not in their face. And don't spin the ball in their face. You can do everything else. The Cleveland Browns spent a season celebrating every single play as if they just won the Super Bowl. They had individual poses. They had the, the crawl in the dirt like you're in the army. They had the feeding gesture, right? Feed me, feed me. They had every single they had dances. All right. They were they were choreographed celebrations for the love of God. You know what they weren't allowed to do? Spinning a ball in the other guy's face or doing something that basically just was a stupid idea to do. And it's not about the fighting. It's that it doesn't look good. It is cool when you celebrate and you mug for the camera. It's not cool when you're an a-hole on the field after you already got the thing that mattered most. You already made the play. This is honestly, what this is, is it is a common sense test. That's what taunting is. But yet every time, every time somebody mentions the taunting, oh, we got to bash the older people. This because old people don't like it or it's cuz it looks bad it doesn't do anything it doesn't enhance the experience and you can do pretty much anything other than taunt how many times were the browns called for taunting this year zero and the browns celebrate as much as any team as i've ever seen so it's not the olds fault it's not and i don't think it's going to lead to more more uh, fighting i just think it's going to make the game less accessible for more of america That's why taunting is illegal. Not just for old America, for all of America. Taunting should not be a rule. What a lame-ass take. I'm young, I'm hip, I'm with it. I like to taunt people. All right. We get it.
0: Attention spans just aren't what they used to be. Heads in social media and eyes on Netflix. But what do people do with their ears? Well, for one, they're listening to audio. Americans spend 4.4 hours with audio every day. Oh, and you want the proof?